let's review briefly and then go forward. So what we do not want to do is what Eve did. We don't want to make the conclusions that Eve did because we wake up every day of our life and we have so much vying for our attention, right? I mean, we got a world on our hip and our phone. We can just lose ourselves in it, right? So we don't want to do that. We don't want to do what Eve did. So Eve made three faulty conclusions, and we're going to redeem her conclusions, right? From this day forward, we are going to say, Jesus, you're good for food, and you're desirable to make me wise, and you are beautiful to behold. And that's where we're going to put our focus. I'm going to ask you to turn to Hebrews 8, 10 through 12, if you would like to. That's where we're going to begin this session on the wonderful privilege of becoming more and more like Christ Jesus, of allowing the Holy Spirit of God to literally form the Son of God in us. You know, we say some of these things and they, they just sound like concepts because we've said them so much and and we, we've read them, and sometimes I think the Lord just needs to just shake us up out of our lethargy and, say, and just say, do you get what, I, what I'm offering you? That the Son of God can literally form himself in you? Man, that's what we're after. Just hold on to that passage. We're going to read it in just a minute. Years and years and years and years and years ago, God took his mighty finger. It's a passage I love in the Old Testament, and I know you're familiar with it. And he, with his finger, wrote out the commandments for Moses. I'm a very visual person. I like to see movies in my head when I'm describing things, and I love that image. He gave his commandments to a man by writing them in stone. But then there came a day when this same God took his mighty spirit and wrote his laws in us. And this is what Hebrews is talking about. When it says... After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind, and on their heart also will I write them, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his fellow citizen and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. They won't have to go around saying, Know the Lord, for listen to this promise for all shall know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and their sins will I remember no more. This is the glorious opportunity that he gave us. That he said, you won't have to say, what is the Lord like to someone else? What is the Lord saying that we won't have to sit in church Sunday after Sunday our whole entire lives and let someone else tell us what God is like. 
and then go back to our Monday through Saturday life trying to figure this thing out because this thing doesn't seem like it's working the way I heard it was supposed to work Sunday. And so he gives us this glorious opportunity to know him from the least to the greatest, to know him. And then once we've enjoyed this glorious gift, once we are in pursuit of him and enjoying knowing him, he loves to reveal himself to his people. (laughs) You could say he lives to reveal himself to his people. He is more eager to reveal himself to you and I than we are eager to know who he is. See, our desire for him can never outmatch his desire for us. It all starts with him. But once we are after this glorious gift of knowing Christ Jesus, then something else happens according to the word. We're supposed to bear that light to others. Here's how Paul says it. Turn to 2 Corinthians 3.3. You may still be there. We were there when we were talking about beholding. We were in 3.18, so this is just backed up a little bit from that in 2 Corinthians 3.3. This is what Paul tells us about that ministry that we have, that call that we have to be transformed so that others could see Christ in us. This is what Paul says. It is clear that you, and you just put your little name in there. Just write your name in your head, like, as you hear it. It is clear that you, I would say, Shelley, that you are Christ's letter produced by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on tablets that are hearts of flesh. The Old Testament prophets Oh, my, my sister Leslie, I got so tickled this morning when you were talking about, like, you used to pray to be a prophet. And then um, you're like, oh, you saw some of what the prophets were doing. I mean, they did things like having to lie on their side naked and barefoot for three years. I'm like, I see that. And I'm going, okay, I don't want, I really don't want to preach naked and barefoot. You know how I am about the naked thing. So, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from with that. But the Old Testament prophets were tasked with living out God's word. It's one, God would say things to them like, um, he said to Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute as a picture to my people of what their unfaithfulness to me looks like. You understand that concept of living out what God was saying. He would have his prophets do things like bury a a girdle, a piece of cloth that they wrapped around their bodies, and, and they would bury it. And he would symbolize through things he had them actually living out and doing what he was saying to his people. And then another day came, and God Again, working with us in a different way. And he said, we're not just called to live out his message in pictorial form. We, girls, are called to actually stay with me here. Be the message. Wow. Wow. 
said, you're, you're supposed to be the message. You just walk around the world as the message. You, you're the message. Now, if I am supposed to be a letter written by God walking around this world, that I want to know how to be the best letter I can be. No, I want to be a well-written letter. I want people to be able to see and read what they're supposed to be able to see and read. And I think you do too. Well, fortunately, Paul, who just absolutely, I love Paul. I love studying Paul. Because Paul, you don't know where to start studying. You leave this conference and you go, man, I just want to start studying. Uh, Study Paul. Uh, Let Paul teach you. Let the Holy Spirit teach you through Paul. Because Paul loves to tell you something and then unpack it. Paul would not leave you in the dark. Paul will tell you to be a letter and he'll say, this is how you're going to be a letter. I mean, you just keep reading. Anytime you're listening to Paul, he loves to unpack What he has told you. So in that same chapter, Paul goes on to give us concrete examples of how to commend others to Christ. To be that letter, that message, walking around that my life and your life commends him to others. Commending means recommending Looking attractive, looking like, yeah, I like that. I mean, that commending someone to say, I like your life. (laughs) I mean, like, I like the way you do life. I like the way you react to life. Like, I see your life, and it's not all roses. But I like the way you seem to be handling it. I like the way you go forward through the hard things. And we commend them to him. But before we look at the ideas that Paul gives us, we should make sure that we keep in mind what we just looked at, that before we can do the therefore of commending him and becoming like him, we have to do what comes before the therefore. We have to do the beholding Christ Jesus to do the commending Christ Jesus. So Paul goes on and he teaches in verbs. Um, he says, don't give up or lose heart. I don't think I have this on a slide. He says, renounce shameful secret things. Don't y'all love, those are concrete. That's verbs. I love when somebody talks to me in verbs. Like, I can build a house if you tell me how to do it. I mean, I just, I have, and I believe we all have that in us. Don't talk to me in fuzzy terms. Like, I need you to tell me something I can hold on to. Give me a verb right there. And Paul does that. He says, don't give up. Don't lose heart. He says, renounce shameful secret things. He says, don't walk craftily. He says, don't handle the word of God deceitfully. Commend ourselves to everyone in God's sight by an open display of truth. For time's sake, we won't read that whole chapter. There is just a few of the verbs, but Paul ends with the emphasis that we're going to look at on verse 18 of chapter 4. After all those verbs, it's going to underscore what we've been talking about. Because let's look. Well, let's back up. Oh, I want to back up all the way. Okay, we're going to just go back up two verses. Oh, I like that one too. 
Okay, we'll go back up three. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. That's what we're wanting. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's what we want. But here's the verse. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we love the faint night. We want that. We love knowing that this light affliction isn't by itself going to kill us. So we, we like those things, but they're not just ours by osmosis. Because verse 18 tells us how it is that we're going to not perish. How it is that we're going to not lose heart. How it is that we're not going to walk craftily. How it is that we're not going to use the word of God deceitfully. And how is it? While we look not at the things which are seen, it's beholding, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen, they are eternal. There's a verse that I have committed to my memory that I love to tell the Lord all the time. And it goes right with that idea of looking at the things that are not seen. And it's 1 John 1, 7. And it says, for having not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. So I like to turn that into an affirmation, and I tell him, having not seen you, I love you. And though I do not see you right now, I rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. He is that good. The transformation in our lives comes by beholding this Jesus and yielding to him, to the written word, to the living word, to the word that's always speaking. I know y'all are familiar with the passage in James that really unpacks the role of obedience here, and, and we don't have a lot of time to go into that. So we'll just let James speak straight to us from James 1, through 25, when he says, Do not merely listen to the word, Oh, wait, let's turn there. Let's, let's turn there because I want this like really sunk deep in us. And sometimes, okay, so here's a confession. We start reading something like that and you know where your mind went and what you need to get ready for your child for school tomorrow or Monday or, you know, whatever our, our brains can kind of go and drift. And this is too important for our brains to drift away on us right here. So let's listen to James because while we're beholding this Jesus, this is what James is saying. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. 
but doing it, but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. This is how we are transformed. This is how we become his love letters. This is how we become a message walking around in this world. By looking at him, listening to him, and yielding to him. This is how we become this is the process of transformation. And transformation in this world around us is powerful stuff. See, our words can say anything. Remember when I told you just a few minutes ago, the world's like fed up with religion. Yeah, whatever. I've heard it. They want to see it. Because transformation is powerful stuff. Am I not right? Does the media not sell that message constantly? Do they not show us before and after? Because they know transformation is powerful stuff. And when we see the before and then we see the after, we want whatever it was in the middle. Shelly will stop in a heartbeat on that Facebook thread. You show me a before and an after, and there's a big change. It's just in our nature to stop and say, whoa, what was that? In the middle. That's where Jesus wants to meet us. In the middle. He wants to transform us. But see, what we, we can have a tendency to do is just let them see the good And not everything else that's happening. But when we do that, we cheat people. We cheat them when we try to project only the good, only the best, only our, our successes, only like where we're, we're obtaining. And we don't walk openly with unveiled face, as the Word says. To letting our sister know, you know, I don't really, really have that down either, but I'm further than I was, and Jesus is, is calling me farther. And then that sister, she has somewhere to go and somewhere to aspire to. But if all we give her is just the, the varnished us that our culture has so taught us to present, just the varnished best version, then it can look like to the people around us, I cannot get there from here. That after looks good, but I can't figure out how to get there from this before. So they tune us out. When if we would live transparently and openly before this world, beholding Christ Jesus and being transformed into him, and they are looking at our lives and going, that's not how you lose to think or like or look or it's not what you used to be after and that's not like there's some changes here. If we're sitting in church, every single time the door is open, every single time the door is open, and if we are who we were 20 years before, y'all, I am sorry, this is hard, but there's a problem. If we are who we were 
five years before. There's a problem. That's not a testimony. Testimony is what's happening in our lives, not what happened. We've kind of conditioned ourselves, like, what's your testimony? And then we go back to, well, let's see, when I was 17. No, that's not what I'm asking you because that's what God did in your life. Like, I'm asking you, what is he doing? And when our testimony becomes what he is doing instead of what he has done, it's present tense. It's right here. It's Jesus in the middle. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It costs us to let others see our weaknesses, but it encourages them when they see Christ at work in us. Jesus is the most real to them. He's the most real through us when we risk what someone may think of us for the greater goal of having him think about them think about him. I told the girls, I told Jesus last night, I was like, I was just a hot mess from start to finish, Lord. But I'm your hot mess. So you, you know, it's yielded to you, it's surrendered to you, so I'm just going to go with the, the notion that you're up in the hot mess. Speaking to those that were there. Because it's just not about me. And it's just not about Leslie. She wasn't a hot mess. Go, Leslie. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? When it becomes more important what they think about him and less important about what they think about me, Jesus lives between us. When I'm dying to myself, I am opening the way for others to live to God. That's in that same passage, 2 Corinthians 4.12, I believe. I don't have it noted. Yeah, Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 4.12. So then death works in us, but life in you. The death he is talking about is dying to self. Dying to self and living to Jesus. So we want, we want Jesus in the midst of our, these circumstances we're praying for and these family that we're praying to know Jesus. We want Jesus in the midst of all this self. And Jesus says, you die to yourself and let me live in the middle of that and watch. You just hide and watch and see what I will do in your family. Can we agree on something this, this afternoon? Can we agree that the faith that it takes to believe unto salvation is a, I don't know, should we say a simpler, once and done faith compared to the hot pursuit of living crucified to him, walking by faith? Growing, active, after him. Can we agree that it is simpler to just say, okay, well, I'm just going to 
I'm a believer. I love Matt was telling me that just a few days ago in this very church, he talked about whether or not you're a believer or a disciple. I got tickled again when he told me that. I was like, you're up in my notes again. You're up in my notes, Matt. Because if we're honest, yes. It may be a simpler way to just believe rather than that hot pursuit of disciple. Are both secure in their salvation? Well, that's a big old theological question right there. I'm going to go with yes. Because it sets people up to say, well, then Shelly, what is there to recommend that to me? How can you tell me that I should choose this life you're talking about, this life of a disciple that's beholding and learning and being transformed. I mean, like, what is there to recommend that life to me? And my wonderful, glorious answer to you comes from God himself. Because the reward of that life is the presence of God. The immeasurable an estimable presence of Christ Jesus. It is walking through life with God himself. Because, see, we were never meant to do it alone. We weren't. We weren't meant to, to hear about him on Sunday and then try to figure out how to get through Monday through Saturday. We weren't meant to walk through it alone. We weren't meant to walk through it alone. He is the reward. Genesis 15, 1 says, After these things, the word of Jehovah came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. Fear not, Abram. I am your exceedingly great reward. Yeah, we are called to walk by faith. But hear me. Hear me. That walk of faith is just one long journey if we're not walking with Jesus. If we're not after him and pursuing him, it's just one long march. But when we're after him and beholding him and he is transforming our lives, he is the greatest adventure out there. I don't care if it's seven or 97. I don't care where you are. We're called to be pilgrims, not settlers. God never chose us to settle. There's never, it does not matter. You could be so further down this faith journey than I am, but you know what God is telling you? Well, you were not called to sit down and settle where you are. My sister, you are a pilgrim. And you are called to go. And it is this life, the life of the disciple, that is becoming more and more like Jesus that recommends him to the world. See, when we live with our eyes on him, we can love others. Because he loves them through us. Last thing, I love this quote. I wanted to bring you, I do believe I have, I may not have it.
printed. I don't think I did a slide. Um, it's from Ignatius. Ignatius, if you've never uh, heard that name, he uh, was, well, he was a student of John the Baptist. And his writings are, they're, they're um, I love them. They're very, they're very deep and they're very Christ-affirming and his insights have transformed my life. But listen to this that Ignatius said. This is what we're talking about this weekend in a nutshell. Give unbelievers the chance of believing through you. Give them the chance. Consider yourself employed by God in your lives, the language he uses to address them. Be mild when they're angry, humble when they're haughty. To their blasphemy, oppose it by prayer without ceasing. To their inconsistency, demonstrate a steadfast adherence to what you believe. Is that not beautiful? By your life, give them a chance to believe. It just brings it full circle back to Leslie's message. Give them a chance to believe through you. That's what we want to do. We're going to have a time of ministry now. Um, the ladies and the gentlemen are going to come. So what's the altar call, Shelley? Like we had all this ministry this morning, and I absolutely loved Leslie giving us the opportunity to just activate the word that was going forth. Thank you for that. I loved that. But now here we are, and, and we're wrapping this thing up. And, and, and what, what is the altar call about? I know that y'all have big prayers here in Wichita. I was listening to, we were driving in from the airport, and I love the stories Matt was telling me about the, the pastors, I believe, that started a prayer group, and then a lot of the leaders joined in. And I may have all these numbers wrong, Matt, but something like 1,200 people meeting for prayer, asking God to birth a revival in this entire nation out of this area right here. I love that. But this is what I want to say to you. This small number of women right here, if this group of women bought wholly and completely in and to believe in that this Jesus really is the more that we're looking for, a fire would come out of this building that would consume this nation right here. So the altar call is just simply that. Now I'm going to be down here and you know why I'm going to be down here answering my own altar call? <laughs> it's that idea of living transparently before you. Because this is what I tell him every day. Because he has shed abroad his love in me. I see him in me. I know he's in me. But I tell him every day, I want to love you more. I want to love you more tomorrow. Then I love you today. Like, I love you, but I want to love you more. And I hold this word up before him all the time, all the time, all the time. And I say, everything that this says I am, I'm not seeing yet in my life. I want this. Now, this is my standard. Is this your standard? So if we're short of this standard in any area, 
I want us down here today saying, I want to love you more. If we love his word, I want us down here saying, I love your word. I want to love your word more tomorrow. If we don't love his word, I want us down here saying, birth in me that desire for your word that will transform my life. That covers a lot of people, doesn't it, sister? Let's worship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord.